Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. On this edition of the show, uh, we're going to be discussing Arsenal's trip to St Mary's tomorrow. The Gunners travel down to the south coast to take on Ralph Hasenhutl's side as they look to maintain their four-point lead at the top of the Premier League. And of course, we're going to be discussing the news that broke yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening. Uh, Gabriel has signed a long-term contract extension with the football club. Good news, in my opinion. I know he's divided opinion quite a bit over the last few weeks. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that particular topic and into that particular subject. If I could just remind you, if you are with us on YouTube, whether you're watching us live or watching this back a little bit later on, please do leave a like on the video. Please do subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. It really, really does help. Okay, um, let's say some hellos uh, and then we'll dive uh, straight into the chat. I'll just uh, quickly run through uh, some of the people in the chat. Richard, Steve, Derek, Stilton Avenger, Sergeant Sponge, Henry, Zebic, uh, Glenn Goldsworthy, Richard, Kenny, uh, Saladin. Uh, we've got Johan, we've got Seb and we've got the Wandering Minstrel. Um, yeah, really looking forward to this. Look, a lot of people make the comment. Uh, I get it every time, Kenny. Uh, Harry is late again. Listen, if I schedule a stream for a time, know that it will start five minutes after that time. Because so many people tell me uh, that they don't get the notifications until after we've started, which is why I like to start after the scheduled time. So it, it is deliberate. It's not that my timekeeping is that bloody bad. But um, I like uh, Zebik's response. He says uh, he isn't late. He's in a unique time zone. That's a nice way of putting it. I <laughs> uh, hope you're all good. hope you're all having a good Saturday. Uh, obviously, uh, Arsenal not in action today, which means we can kind of kick back uh, and enjoy the rest of the football going on. I, for one, am really looking forward to the game later today between Chelsea and Manchester United. It's a rare Saturday off for me. Um, I'm not at a game. I'm not doing any work outside of this podcast, which means um, I'm going to just basically vegetate most of the day, watch football, enjoy it, chill out, relax, because I've got a trip down to the South Coast tomorrow. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I'll be uh, driving back from Southampton and then bringing you guys a reaction podcast tomorrow evening, which I'm very much looking forward to. OK, let's start with the news regarding Gabriel. Now, the Arsenal man, uh, it was announced yesterday, has signed a new long term contract with the club. Um, someone said in the comments earlier on, let me see if I can find it. Uh, here it is. It was Richard. He said, you had me there, Harry. I was hoping it was good news. And Gabriel Martinelli 
had signed a new contract. Good one. Well, Gabriel signing a contract is still good news, in my opinion. I think he's a very underrated centre-back. I think he brings lots to the table. I think his front-foot aggressive style is key to the way we play. I think without him, we wouldn't be able to play as high a line as we currently do because he's got the pace in behind. He's aggressive in the way he squeezes up. He helps close the gap between the centre-backs and Thomas Partey with his aggression. Does he have moments where he gets caught out? Does he has, have moments where maybe his emotions get the better of him? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, I'm not going to deny that. But I think overall, he's been a really, really good acquisition. When you think about what we paid for him in comparison to what he's probably worth today, it's been a really, really good bit of business from Arsenal. And the best is yet to come. We're talking about a 24-year-old defender here. And so when we talk about him being a little bit rash sometimes, maybe showing a little bit of naivety, you've got to remember as well that he's nowhere near the peak of his powers. He's nowhere near his best. That's still to come. So to be able to tie this guy down at this point, I think is really, really important. And for Arsenal to announce this at a time where there are questions being asked about Gabriel, just reiterates the faith that Mikel Arteta, that Edu, and that the club's hierarchy have in the player himself. So what have Arsenal had to say on this one? Uh, Gabriel Magalhaes has signed a new long-term contract with us since joining from Lille in September 2020. Gabby has become a vital part of our first team, making 81 appearances in all competitions. The 24-year-old defender continues to grow in stature with impressive performances and is also a big goal-scoring threat. He netted on his debut in September 2020 and has scored five times uh, in the Premier League last season. A Brazil youth international, Gabby was called up to the senior squad for the first time in November 2021 and was an unused substitute during the 2022 World Cup qualifying campaign. He began his career with Avai in Santa Catarina in Brazil before moving to France with Lille as a teenager in January 17. He then had loan spells with Trois in Ligue 1 and Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia, who won the domestic double while Gabriel was with them. And in 2017-18, uh, he made... Uh, sorry, that was the time in, in Zagreb. He made his debut for Lille in February 2019. So what has the boss, what has Edu had to say on this? Well, here is uh, their little bit. Uh, technical director Edu said, it's a, it's great that we've agreed a new deal with Gabby at 24. He's still a young player and is part of our future. His performances since he joined us in 2020 have been very strong and his positive impact to our results has been clear for everyone to see. He's grown so much on and off the pitch with both his contribution and communication on and off the pitch. We all look forward to see Gabby continue to grow as an important part of the club. Mikel Arteta said he's shown huge quality since he joined us. He's a young player with a great work ethic and his consistent, strong performances have been hugely important to us over the past two seasons. Working with him every day is a pleasure. He's formed a strong relationship with everyone at the club and we're so pleased that he's committed to us on a long-term contract. Now, they don't specify how long that contract is, but I think I read a report yesterday which said it's believed to be until 2027. So we've tied him uh, down. He's he's part of the furniture. He's clearly someone that Mikel Arteta likes, that Edu likes. He's clearly in the plans moving forward. And so tying him down was the right thing to do. And, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty more contract renewals to come, but it's all part of the, the bigger plan, right? It's all part of the bigger picture. 
You know, you you build a squad, you develop the group, you hope that they all grow and and progress together. But you know, then you the, the minute you kind of lose one, you start to show cracks. And when you show cracks, other players may turn around and say, "Well, you know, I thought we were building something here, but now you've let this player go or that player go." And you've got to do a lot of damage limitation in that particular scenario. So with someone like Gabriel, what you're doing is you're sending a message to the rest of the squad that you're also trying to convince to commit their long-term futures, the Gabby Martinelli's, the Bakayo Sackers, that we're in this for the long haul, you know, that we really believe in this project, that we are uh, going to make a good go of it. And, uh, and some of the key components uh, have already committed their future. So why shouldn't you is kind of the message that Arsenal will want to be sending to those players, I'm sure. As I said, people think he's 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 clumsy. People think he's a bit of a disaster waiting to happen. And he has had his moments. But overall, he's been a very good acquisition. I don't think you can deny that. And, um, and, and here he is uh, putting pen to paper. The other thing as well is that when you sign some of these players in the first place, you know, they're brought in as initially as squad members, maybe with the view to them being first team key components later on. But when they get to that point, then you need to reward them with a salary that is reflective of their role within the side as well. And that's another thing that Arsenal didn't do very well in recent history, in recent times, in recent years. And so it's another thing that Arsenal will be looking to correct. And again, it's about the message that that sends to everybody else that you're trying to get to commit and put pen to paper. Uh, Siege in the chat says, uh, why is Saka stalling? Well, you know, the Saka thing is probably more complex. It's probably more complicated. He's certainly going to be more in demand uh, than Gabriel. He's certainly going to want more money. He's certainly going to be closer to the highest paid in the Arsenal squad, probably, than Gabriel will be. And so it's probably a more complicated deal to do. Um, you know, that's that's how I see it. I'm not panicking at this stage. I'm not worried at this point. Um, you know, the, the noises that we're getting, the the kind of um, the bits of information that are trickling through all suggest that Bukayo Saka is open to the idea of extending the contract. But there's just some final negotiations that need to take place. OK, uh, let's flip our attention to the game coming up at St. Mary's uh, tomorrow. Uh, really looking forward uh, to heading down there. I'm covering the game for BBC Radio London. So if you are not able to watch it and you want access to some updates uh, from St. Mary's, you can tune in there and uh, and I'll be the one keeping you across that particular game. So what do we know about our opponents, Southampton? Let's look at uh, the statistics, the head to head. Um, and their season so far, as we always do on our preview shows, courtesy of the information available on the Premier League website. Here we go. There we go. Southampton versus Arsenal. The two sides have met 46 times in the Premier League so far. Southampton have won just eight of those uh, comings together. Uh, Arsenal have won 25 and there have been 13 draws between the two sides. But perhaps more significantly than that, and more importantly than that, how's it gone in recent times? Well, in the last meeting between the two sides, Southampton beat us by a goal to nil. Now, for me, that run of three games, I think it was Palace, Southampton. I can't remember exactly what order they were in, but it was Southampton, Palace, and what was the other one? Brighton. Those three games last season... That was the patch that cost us the top four. 
I know people will look at Spurs away and people will look at Newcastle away, but they were not games that I, I felt we had a, a right to win. They weren't games that I thought we should win. They were games that I thought, well, if we can get a point out of this, we'd have done really well and anything more would be a bonus. But when it comes to the games that I'm talking about now, the Southampton Palace and Brighton games, we had to win those. Even if we won one of them, um, you know, won one and drew one, we would have been in a much better position and probably would have got over the line. So this game, for me, at least based on short-term memories, brings back bad memories, you know. It was a really rubbish performance last year at St Mary's. There's no denying that. I know we had players missing. I know we weren't as strong as we are today. And hopefully we can go there tomorrow and put that right and, you know, put that ghost to bed, essentially. But, um, yeah, you know, bad memories. Earlier on in that season, we'd beaten them uh, at Emirates Stadium by three goals to nil. And in the season prior, despite winning at St Mary's by three goals to one, we were held uh, to a draw. Uh, at St Mary, uh, at the Emirates, I beg your pardon, 1-1. Uh, prior to that, we'd gone there on Thursday, 25th of June and beaten them by two goals to nil. Got to put what happened last season to bed. It would be another step for this Arsenal side. Uh, look at the form guide. Southampton have won just one of their last five, but sod's law for us, it's come uh, in their last outing. They travelled to Bournemouth, a derby uh, down there on the south coast, and Che Adams' goal made the difference between the two sides. So after a run that was pretty disappointing for Ralph Hasenhutl's side, they managed to get their first three points on the board. And as I say, typically it would be just before they're going to play Arsenal, wouldn't it? Arsenal have won four of their last five. Uh, they've won every game in the Premier League since that disappointing defeat at Old Trafford. But uh, perhaps more importantly and perhaps more uh, significantly than the run of games. It's who the victories have come against since then. We've beaten Spurs, we've beaten Liverpool, we won away at Leeds, which is never an easy place to go, as we found out last weekend. And we completely battered a Brentford side who have been relatively good at home so far this season. So how do the two teams compare in terms of their seasons so far? Well, the Gunners sit proudly at the top of the Premier League, having won nine of their 10 games so far. We've lost just the one. Averaging 2.4 goals per match, uh, averaging uh, one goal conceded per match. We've kept four clean sheets in our games so far, and we're averaging 1.8 big chances per game. Now, that is according to the Premier League stats. I always tell you guys to take that one with a little bit of a pinch of salt, because I'm not really sure what the criteria is around that, what constitutes a big chance or a little chance or yeah, a little chance, a big chance or a, a chance that maybe isn't as, as clear cut. I don't know. That's down to their discretion, I guess. Our biggest win of the season came the last time we were down on the South Coast, a 3-0 win uh, over Bournemouth. We also beat Brentford uh, by that scoreline as well. Um, and of course, our worst defeat, our only defeat came at Old Trafford. As for Southampton, they sit in 14th at the moment. They've won three of their games so far, drawn two and lost six. They're not even averaging a goal per game at the moment, which has been a problem for them, despite creating quite a few chances. In fact, um, you know, th there's a lot of teams that are worse off than them in this particular stat. So they're not converting. They're not taking the opportunities that are coming their way, which will be frustrating for Ralph Hasenhutl. But they are a side that like to play on the front foot. They are a side um, who have caused plenty problems, Chelsea problems this season. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one pans out. Listen, I always say this to you guys. The Premier League is is such a difficult league that there are no easy games. And if you're not anywhere near your best, then a lot of the time you will be punished for that. Like we were lucky last weekend. We went to Leeds. We weren't very good. We were completely dominated. We were completely outplayed. They were the better side. We were second best in pretty much every department, particularly in that second half. But we got away with the points. And that's a good sign, but it's only a good sign if that's what happens on the rare occasion when your performances are bad. If your performances are like that on a weekly basis, then we've got a problem. And I'm not saying the performance was bad against PSV in midweek, but it it could have been better, maybe. Um, and, and that was another classic case of a game where we did just enough in the end to get over the line. Um, you know, we had a lot of opportunities and, and we had a lot of the ball, but were we as clinical as we should have been against PSV? Absolutely not. And had they had a little bit more going forward and been a little bit more potent, you know, they were toothless. And that was uh, not something I predicted, given that we looked at their stats and we looked at some of the individual players that Ruud van Nistelrooy has at his disposal going into that. And we felt that PSV could be a big problem. So to a degree, we kind of got away with it on Thursday. Again, you know, I spoke about it at length in the review show of that match. But the point I'm trying to make here is that you can't keep performing below your level and expect to get the points. We've been quite fortunate that we got them at Leeds. I don't think we were too below our level against PSV, given the changes that were made, but we certainly weren't at top level. And, and we need to return to top level to make sure that there are no slip-ups and to make sure uh, that there are no issues uh, around this one because Premier League is a very unforgiving place. If you look at top player statistics, uh, the leading goal scorer between these two sides is, of course, Gabriel Jesus on five and uh, Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka in joint second on four apiece in terms of assists. Bukayo Saka leads the way. But interesting, uh, tied in second place are Gabriel Jesus, who we said would be an equally effective provider as well as a goal scorer this season, but also Granit Xhaka. He's really, really stepped it up. OK, um, that's uh, that's the uh, the statistical side of it. So how do I view this game? How do I see us having to play? Well, you look at the way things went against Leeds last week and we played against a side who were aggressive in their press and tried to squeeze us in. They didn't do it anywhere near as effectively in the first half. In fact, I don't think they were as aggressive in their implementation of it in the first half. I thought they were caught in two minds. I, I think they they wanted to press us. They wanted to hassle us. They wanted to make it difficult for us. But if you watch the game back, which I've since done, you'll see that in the first half, at least, our centre-backs had plenty of time on the ball. It was as though the trigger point for Leeds United's press was further up the pitch when the ball went from the defence into the midfield. When it crossed that line, that's when Jesse Marsh's press was triggered. And in the second half, that completely changed. In the second half, they said, no, you know what? Let's let's go for it. And rightly so, because they were losing the game. And that's when we really struggled. That's when we couldn't live with it. We couldn't cope. And um, I think there were a number of reasons for that. I think that, you know, we just didn't have a great day. Form was was not there. Um, I think some of our defenders were a little bit rattled by the atmosphere and by the aggression shown by Leeds United. I think the decision to play Tommy Asu at left back from a defensive standpoint wasn't the worst in the world. 
Um, and and I guess he kind of earned it, having played so well against Liverpool. Um, or I, I, actually, do you know what? I, I think Liverpool did get in behind him a few times, but he he was obviously in the team that day for a very specific reason to deal with a very uh, dangerous opponent. And he did a good job of nullifying Mo Salah. You have to say it was a tactical masterstroke from Mikel Arteta. So you can understand why he felt confidence in Tommy Asu going into the Leeds game. But I actually thought when we were trying to play out, when we were trying to beat Leeds United's press and break the lines, when the ball did find its way to Tommy Asu at left back, I think he struggled to move it on. I think people talk a lot about the two-footed thing. I keep talking about it because it keeps uh, sort of coming up. I don't think he's as comfortable at breaking the lines with his passing when he's playing on the left-hand side as he is on the right. Now, that's not a fault of his. You know, there are very few players in the world that are genuinely two-footed, that are equally as competent on their right as they are on their left or on their left as they are on their right. Those players don't exist. They're rare. You know, you can be competent enough, and that's what Tommy Asu is with his left foot. But you could see that when we were trying to break the press and we were struggling to find the pass into midfield, into Partey, or Partey was being crowded out, which happened a lot against Leeds in that second half, where we'd normally use the fullback, we would give it to Tommy Asu, and maybe it would take him that extra touch to steady himself, or maybe it would take him that extra touch before he could play the pass that he wanted. And I think actually that contributed to us struggling with Leeds' press probably more than we needed to. So I want to see Kieran Tierney back in the side um, tomorrow. I really do. Because I think that, um, you know, I think that Southampton will try and play in a similar way. Ralph Hasenhutl's never been a manager who's set his team up with a, a low block. He's never been a manager who um, is willing to completely get rid of his principles or completely abandon his principles, I guess is a better way of putting it, uh, for an opponent. That's probably been Southampton's downfall in a lot of ways, and it's what's made it hard for them to compete. But when it does come off, they can cause people problems. They've got some players missing, and I think this is worth uh, noting because um, Ralph Hasenhutl gave an update yesterday uh, around the fitness of uh, of some of his players. Uh, so manager Ralph Hasenhutl delivered a mixed uh, team news update ahead of Southampton's clash with Arsenal in the Premier League at St Mary's on Sunday. Wednesday night saw the Saints pick up a valuable three points at an informed Bournemouth thanks to Che Adams' early header. Um, but despite the win and the clean sheet, it was not all good news for the Saints, who will now be without Kyle Walker-Peters for the foreseeable future. He's a really important player for them. He's a really good player. Um, I couldn't say it when he was a Spurs player, but I can say it now. Uh, Kyle Walker-Peters, I think, is a, a really good fullback. And, and obviously for him, not to be in the side is a good thing for us. Um, Ralph Hasenhutl confirmed he probably will be out for the long term and it's a hamstring problem. Uh, aside from that, uh, Armel uh, Bella Kotchap, who was a revelation at the start of the season. I remember watching Southampton a couple of times and thinking, wow, this guy's quite the centre-back. Uh, he is still out and needs a bit more time. Again, Ralph Hasenhutl couldn't put a time on it. Um, but there is positive news from a Southampton point of view uh, as long-term absentee Romeo Lavia returns to team training. He's been out since that game I mentioned against Chelsea at St Mary's at the end of August. But will he start the game? Will Ralph Hasenhutl feel he's ready to start the game? I'm not sure. He's been out for a long, long time, as is highlighted there. So there's a good chance that he 
uh, will only play a part from the bench. So there's some updates from Southampton in terms of their team news. With us, uh, we don't know of any new problems. We're still uh, sort of waiting anxiously with regards to um, Alexander Zinchenko. What's the situation with him? A few days ago, we heard that he will be back before the World Cup, which kind of made a lot of us fear the worst, made a lot of us think, oh my God, like, is that how bad it is? Like, it's still going to be another few weeks before we get him back into the picture. But Mikel Arteta confirmed in his press conference ahead of this one that actually Zinchenko is a lot closer to a return than maybe was uh, assumed based on previous comments. So um, will he be fit and available for the game at the weekend? Who knows? Probably not fit enough to start would be my guess. But I, I you know, look, at, at the moment for me, we're trying to rotate the team. We're trying to keep everybody fit. We're trying to keep everybody sharp. Kieran Tierney is someone who's had injury problems for as long as I can remember. And so I can understand why Mikel doesn't want to play him Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, whatever. But I think he needs to come in the team, uh, back into the team for this game, because I think that we lose something in an attacking sense when uh, attacker hero Tommy Asu plays at left back. As good as he is for dealing with specific problems, and he's been great, I think we lose something with him in the side. And yes, Tierney played on Thursday, but if we're going to get out of this, you know, Tierney being a Thursday to Thursday player sort of routine, which is probably something that is as a consequence of the, the rotational strategy rather than something personal to Kieran Tierney, then he needs to play two games in a row. That's the only way you break that cycle. And I think, you know, tomorrow is is a is a time for him to, to start the game. We've got Tommy Asu available. You can bring him off the bench. You can play him um, if you need to, if Tierney can't last the entire 90. But I think that we need to get Tierney back into the picture because I think we've lost something on that left-hand side as an attacking force in order to try and bolster us up defensively. And I'm not sure that Southampton are a team that you need to make that concession for. So let's have a quick look at the team that I would pick for this one. Uh, so I'd go with Aaron Ramsdale in goal. My back four would be Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel, uh, who's just signed a new contract, of course, and Kieran Tierney at left back. My midfield picks itself. Whenever these three are fit, they have to be the first choice midfield for me. That's Partey, the inspired at the moment, uh, Granite Xhaka, and of course, Martin Erdegaard. On the right-hand side, I want Bukayo Saka to play, Gabriel Jesus through the middle, and Gabby Martinelli on the left. So I guess the only debatable position in terms of what I think maybe Mikel Arteta will um, be mulling over is that left back. But me, I would put Tierney back in. I've been saying this for a couple of Premier League games now, and hopefully from my perspective, we see it this weekend. The other debate that I've seen raging um, on social media actually over the last sort of 24 hours is the debate around Bukayo Saka, who obviously started the game against... Um, against PSV Eindhoven in the week. And listen, I think maybe he wouldn't have. I think maybe it would have been Martinelli's time to start in the Europa League. They've they've been sort of taking it in turns, haven't they, this season in order to try and keep some level of consistency and quality in that front line and to not make too many changes that unsettle us. I think that Martinelli would have been the one that started against PSV the other night had he not been under the weather during the week and had he not missed training. So, you know, it was unfortunate for Saka that he had to play uh, a couple of Europa League games in a row from the start. But it's 
it is what it is. You help your, you help your teammates out. And, and people are questioning now whether Bukayo Saka needs a break, whether he's running on empty. This is going to sound really maybe controversial, actually, but I keep reading people saying that Saka looks tired all the time and that Saka looks below it and that Saka doesn't look as though he's at 100%. And as a consequence of that, we then look at Mikel Arteta and whether he's playing him too much. Is there an argument that says that Bukayo Saka needs to improve his fitness? Is that, I mean, I might be crazy. Tell me if I'm crazy in the chat, but is there an argument that Bukayo Saka shouldn't look as dead on his feet as he does at certain points in certain games? Given his age, I know he's played a lot of football for his age, given the role in the team he's playing. I mean, he's not a midfielder getting up and down. I don't think with Ben White at right back, he does as much defensive work as, you know, maybe he would have done in, in previous teams or maybe he would have done with a more traditional fullback at right back. I don't know. Is there an argument that actually he he's excused because he presses a lot more aggressively than he has in previous teams? I, I really don't know what the answer is to this, but if I'm Mikel Arteta, yeah, I want to protect him. Yeah, I want to wrap him up in cotton wool. But what good to me is a key player if he's not available most of the time. And I say this about so many players. You know, I don't want players in and around the club that are unreliable in terms of their fitness. Saka has been incredibly reliable, but we have at times seen him look just a little bit below it um, in terms of his fitness and in terms of the way he walks around the pitch when he's sort of a, a little bit tired and, and struggling a little bit. Interesting one. Let me know what you think in the comments um, about that. Um Matt says, respectfully, yes, I think that's a crazy take, Harry. He's played a lot of football. Yeah, I'm just thinking out loud. You know, I know he's played a lot of football, but um, as uh, Mikel Arteta said, and as Nav has pointed out in the chat, uh, champions play 70 plus games. I don't know that 70 is is, is what we should be uh, looking to burden him with. But, you know, there's 38 games in the Premier League. If he plays 15 cup games as well, you're certainly talking about more than 50. Um, you know, add the international stuff to that as well. And you probably do get somewhere close to 60, um, maybe a little bit more. I just, I don't know. I look at the top players and I think that they all do that and they have to do that. And so what can Bukayo Saka do to, to help with that on a personal level as well? Because he will be selected because he's one of our best players and he's one of our most important players. And we've talked about this before. Take him out the side, put Marquinhos in. Is he as good? Is he as effective? No, he's not. But the great thing about Saka this season is that even when he has looked out of breath, even when he has looked like he's running on empty and running low on fuel, he's contributed goals and assists. And you can't always say that for Bukayo Saka in the past, which gives me, of course, encouragement. So that's my team uh, to face Southampton. So what is my prediction? I'm going to go for an Arsenal win. I think that Southampton's style will probably suit us. I think they'll want to come on to us. I think they'll want to play us. I don't think they really know. I don't think Ralph Hasenhutl really knows how to set up a team to play with that low block and try and shut somebody out. I think he has a very clear style. And um, maybe, uh, you know, that will suit us in terms of the gaps in the spaces that that will leave and how we can then go on and expose them. So my prediction for this is Southampton nil, Arsenal 2. I think the Gunners win this. Um, and if we do win this, you know, it, it's massive again, because I expect City to win today. 
Um, and I expect us to be able to respond to that and keep that gap uh, as it is currently, which is four points between us and the rest. Remember, Tottenham play Newcastle this weekend as well, which is a tricky game for them. Um, you know, it's at home, but Newcastle have been in, in inspired form. They're a really good side and they're certainly capable of going to Tottenham. Um, given the way Tottenham have been playing in terms of their performances, the results have still been there for the most part with Tottenham, but the performances have been well below par and Newcastle are good enough to take advantage of that. So there's a potential for them to slip up and lose further ground on us. Uh, Chelsea take on Manchester United. There's a potential for one of or both of those sides to drop points uh, later on this evening. So there's so much uh, going on in the Premier League. And, and this is one of those weeks where you have to take advantage of the, the fixtures going on around you and make the most of them. So, yeah, um, that's where I am. Going to go for an Arsenal 2-0 win. OK, look, let's take uh, some questions, some thoughts from the live chat for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of the show. Um, I have recorded a members mailbag episode, um, half recorded it because uh, I've got a few more questions to get through. I wanted to do them uh, in depth, but I'll drop that. Um, I I'm not going to drop it today because obviously the focus now is on Southampton um, and the questions are more general, certainly. So we'll drop that uh, at some point, if not over the weekend, then on Monday uh, for you guys uh, to dissect as well. I've been thinking long and hard as well about what we talked about yesterday or the day before on the show, which was when can I make the show um, sort of, you know, what time of, you know, what time of day can I schedule the show in on a regular basis that makes it clear to you when the Chronicles of Aguna is on so that you can, you know, if you can make it great, but so that you know when to expect it. Because as I've said to you guys, one of the challenges I've found in the last few weeks with, sort of uh, some of the work I'm doing is 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 that consistency around the time. We've still put out the same number of episodes. We've still kept that consistent. Um, but obviously, having a consistent time like we used to in the past will probably be of, of benefit to a lot of people. I don't want it to be too early because I'm conscious that uh, we've got listeners in different parts of the world for whom that is no good. I also don't want to make it too late because I know that people have things to do in the evenings and would rather spend the evenings with their loved ones and, and watching games of football, then listening to me ramble on about it. In my head right now, I'm thinking 6pm, Monday to Friday. Um, that's what I'm thinking at the moment. But, um, you know, I, I do need to double check the schedule and, and really home in and make sure that that is possible. Maybe 7pm uh, could be better. It would just stop me getting caught up in travel on my way back from things and gives me a bit more breathing space so that I'm not running around like a blue ass fly trying to get it done on time. And then with more breathing space and more preparation, obviously the show will be of a better quality. So, um, yeah, um, I, I'm thinking about that. I'm looking at around 6, 7 p.m. UK time right now, but that is not set in stone at the moment. But I just wanted to bring you an update because a few of you have messaged me about that. And thank you, as always, for your feedback. OK, let's go over to the chat. Um, let's see uh, what we've got here. Um, Luyolo says, uh, thoughts on Indica to Arsenal? Yes, Arsenal have been uh, linked with uh, with the defender, um, Evan Indica. I'm not really sure if this is a good fit or not, just based on a lack of knowledge around 
Eintracht Frankfurt, if I'm being honest. Um, I watched them a couple of times against Spurs in the Champions League. I, I saw a bit of them last season in their run, um, in their run to the Europa League final. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a it's something that interests me. It, he's a player that I'd like us to maybe explore the potential of signing. And I've kind of got to the point now where I just, I trust the recruitment guys. I trust Edu's judgment. You know, I trust Mikel Arteta's judgment. I think they've got way more right than they've got wrong, particularly when you're talking about the signings that cost quite a bit of money. There have been some that were, you feel, sort of filler signings. People like Pablo Mari, people like Runison people like Cedric Suarez that didn't cost us a lot of money and therefore you can almost forgive the fact that those signings maybe haven't been as as effective as maybe they'd have liked or maybe we'd have liked as fans. But, you know, on the surface, this looks like an interesting prospect. Uh, but if I sat here and told you I know loads about him, I'd be lying. So I'd need to do my research. And at this moment in time, I'm not really too uh, sort of occupied or, or or really not too interested in the transfer market stuff. I think when we get to January, that will step up and we'll we'll look at that in a bit more detail. Maybe at the end of December, you know, as we're building back up towards the Premier League restarting after the World Cup, we'll look at players that will maybe at the World Cup and identify some that maybe Arsenal um, should look out for. But yeah, look, we'll do the research if, if there's any progress in this. But um, yeah, he's an interesting prospect. I just, as I say, I don't know too much about him if i'm being honest uh let's see what else we've got um zebik says uh, what who do you think are going to be our top three goal scorers and assists assisters at the end of the season in terms of goal scorers i think it's going to be jesus martinelli and saka i think those three are going to be leading the way i think that jesus will probably be the front runner um and i think that Martinelli will probably get more goals than Saka over the course of the season, but I expect Saka to be ahead of him in the assist chart. I think Granit Xhaka will be right up there as well when it comes to assists too, uh, based on the role that he's played this season and, and how good he's been in that department. So, yeah, um, the top three goal scorers will be Jesus, Martinelli, Saka in that order for me. That's my prediction. Um, OK, what else have we got? Uh Let's see. Uh, Nav says, I'm seeing more stuff about Zaha in the papers. Don't think it's true, though. To be fair, there's always stuff about him being linked to us. Yeah, that's one of those that's been going on for years. It's almost as old as the Solomon Kalu to Arsenal rumours uh, that we used to see all the time uh, back in the day. Uh, Nav also says, Harry, do you know about this uh, report linking Kieran Tierney with a return to Celtic? Is there any truth to it? Look, I'm going to be honest, right? And, and people might not... Um, People might not like this. People that are Scottish might not like this, right? But I don't mean it as any disrespect. But the Scottish League, the Scottish Premier League, I think he's below Kiarantini now. I think he's come to the Premier League and he's shown himself to be a very good defender, a very competent left-back and a very desirable left-back. The problem has been his fitness. And, you know, that is something that I think he still needs to prove. Um I think that's why he's found himself on part of a rotation as opposed to being part of the furniture and, and one of the first names on the team sheet. I don't think it's anything to do with his ability. I think it's two things. I think it's his fitness and I also think it's the it's the the new role that the left back is being asked to play, the inverted role. Now, what we used to see last season 
let me bring up the tactics board once again, actually, just to kind of demonstrate this point for those of you watching. If you're listening, don't worry, I'll do my best uh, to explain what I mean. But what we used to see quite a bit last season with, say, Tommy Asu at right back was actually the, the, the back four sort of adjusting into more like a back three and then the left back bombing on um, and supporting uh, whoever it was playing on the left, going on the outside sometimes, coming on the inside, but essentially becoming part of the midfield and being much more advanced. What you see now, though, uh, from our fullbacks is a little bit different. What you see from White is him stepping in field and you see that with T&E too. And very often, I mean, if you go back and watch the Leeds game again, even when Tommy Asu was playing at left back, you saw him take up a midfield position alongside Thomas Partey on numerous occasions when we had the ball in possession. And that is a very different role to the role that Kieran Tierney has been playing previously in Arsenal Colours. So I think the fact that he's found himself out of the team quite a bit this season has been a consequence of two things. The rotational, um, what's the word? Uh, the rotational plan that Mikel Arteta has for the squad in terms of managing people's minutes and managing the Europa League alongside the Premier League stuff. And, um, you know, the, the fitness issues that he's had have obviously played a part in Mikel Arteta's thinking there. Maybe he doesn't want to push him. Maybe he doesn't feel like he can play two games in a row. I don't know. But the other thing that has worked against him, I would say, is the difference in the role of the left back. I don't think he's completely comfortable doing that job just yet. Certainly not in the way that Alexander Zinchenko is, hence why the Ukrainian has been, um, when fit and available, ahead of him in the pecking order. But yeah, uh, that's my take on that. Will he go back to Celtic? I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's at that point yet where Kieran Tierney is sort of knocking on the manager's door and, and expressing his discontent and, and showing that he's unhappy and, and asking for a transfer. I think if you're not in the starting lineup and you're a player of Kieran Tini's quality, of course, you're not going to be happy. Of course, that isn't what you want. But I don't think he's the type at this point anyway to, to make a big fuss about it. He's a professional. You want him to want to play. And I'm sure he does want to play. But I'm not massively concerned about this at this stage. Uh, Deflected Mind says, um, we don't have a good enough backup in Saka's position, Harry. Are there any options? You know, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it is a problem and it's partly why, um, you know, Saka's been asked to play so much football. I think that if push came to shove and we were desperate, uh, Fabio Vieira would be seen as someone that could play in that wide area. Um, I don't think it's his best position, but I think it's a position he could play. He played that role for Porto from the left-hand side quite a bit in the past. Um, so, yeah, that would be an option. I don't know if Marquinhos is quite ready yet. I think that what Arteta saw from him in the Europa League has maybe put him off a little bit because he's not really selected him since that home game against Bodo Glimp, not even in the Europa League. Reese Nelson, um, is he an option? Not anywhere near the same level of Bukayo Saka. The one that probably would have been used in those wide areas in the absence of a Saka or, or whatever, it would have been Emil Smith-Rowe, but obviously he's injured and uh, and he's not uh, he's not available. So, um, you know, that's made it more difficult and it's added weight on the shoulders of Bukayo Saka, who we keep talking about as someone that needs a bit of a breather and, and needs to maybe recharge. But certainly in the Premier League games, I don't really feel like we're in a position to be able to, to give him that breather and that break and that pause. 
Henry Guna says, uh, come on, people, nearly 200 watching. There's over 200 watching now uh, and only 50 odd likes. What's going on? Yeah, what is going on? Let's try and get to 100 likes. We're on 62 at the moment. Let's try and pick that up. Uh, final question. I'm going to take this one from Russ, who says, are you concerned by the injuries Zinchenko has been getting? Do you think he has the Arsenal injury curse? Yeah, I am concerned by it. Um, you know, it's not ideal. It's something that we bemoaned our luck over when it was Kieran Tierney and we brought a left back in or someone that could play left back mainly because we were concerned and worried um, about Kieran Tierney. And now we've got someone um, in who has similar problems. Now, are these problems going to be ongoing? I don't know. From what we understand, the problem that he's got now is a recurrence of a previous problem, which isn't a good thing because it suggests the severity of that problem um, is greater than maybe first feared. It suggests that we didn't do the right things in terms of his rehabilitation. But the flip side of that is, well, at least it's not a new problem. And, you know, we, we had to be patient with Tommy Asu um, at the start of the season because he was dealing with a recurring issue. Uh, and now he's in a place where, um, you know, he's fit, he's firing, he's ready to go and he's, he's looking as good as ever. So, yeah, I, it's just patience, I guess. But yeah, there is a concern there for sure. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Right. Uh, we are going to leave it there. If I didn't get to your question, I apologize. I promise you, Selgeis, it's not uh, personal. It really isn't, man. Um, I promise you. Uh, thank you all uh, so, so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we're climbing up the Apple podcast chart, which is amazing um, in the soccer category. Uh, last time I checked, we were in the top 30, which is pretty cool in the UK. Um, top 60, I think, in the US. And when you think about uh, how many creators are out there, how many shows there are, how many clubs there are to cover and how much great content there is around every single one of them, not to mention the general stuff, you know, the BBC's Football Daily, the Guardian um, Football Weekly, all of those things. To be that high up the chart is something that I never thought we'd ever, uh, that I'd personally ever be able to achieve. So I'm delighted and, and thank you all for your support. Don't forget to leave a like on the way out. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And we will be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal content. We'll be looking back on the game against Southampton. Um, fingers crossed. We're talking about another three points and another Arsenal win. I'll catch you all so, so soon. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy your Saturday and up the gunners. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs>